all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm caught off guard. I mean, I'm David. <laughs> and this is all bad things. <laughs> Decided I'd spring one on you, you snuck there. that one on me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I lulled you into a false sense of security. Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at All Bad Things Pod. Join our Facebook um, discussion group. Super fun. Lots that, of good discussions. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that was the least convincing <laughs> endorsement ever. But no, really. It's super fun. It is. It is. Lots of good people on there. And you can always email us at allbadthings@gmail.com. Um, Housekeeping. One thing. I would like to clarify from so we're recording a little ahead so this is regarding our Everest episode 1996 Everest disaster episode a couple weeks back we got a comment on Twitter um, from somebody we made a joke and I listened for it again this uh, this today and couldn't find it but I do remember hearing it the first time through I did actually listen to that episode oh there you go um uh where we made a joke regarding the pronoun they. Mm-hmm. Um, and as probably most people who have listened to us for a significant period of time could probably tell, or maybe not, so just wanted to clarify, we were making fun of our own previous discussions of pronouns and not people who choose, who have the pronoun they. Um, but somebody took it that way, and that's super unfortunate because we are very much in support of all our listeners, period, end of story, regardless of your pronouns and everything. We like you, and we're sorry if that was offensive. Yes. So we can leave it at that, right? Yes. All right. Any housekeeping on your end? Not that I know of. What you drinking? <laughs> I'm having my uh, national local beer. But we just bought a whole bunch but, of fun beers. But none of them are cold. I didn't buy any cold ones. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, okay. Well, I did. This is Brewery Bavana, mm-hmm. which is in downtown Raleigh and is an offshoot of um, Bitamanda. It is also the former Tirnanog. That's right, where you used to work back in the day. Go ahead and have a, a sip. It's interesting. Not bad. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's different, huh? That. So this is called Picaflor. The I honestly don't know pretty. if it's good or bad. <laughs> I, I know it's a, it's different, huh? Um, it's a little sour. I think that might be why you're not a, a big fan. What are you doing? Yeah, okay. nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There's oh, mm-hmm. you and hair. Yep. You don't like hair being on things, which I don't blame you for. But. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm um, <laughs> sure I'm not alone there. <laughs> so this is a wood fermented ale with grapefruit. It's um relatively light. It's four point nine percent. So yeah, and it is in my uh, hashtag Bernie twenty twenty. Oh, there koozie. you go. Yes. So we we're not the press, so we can do endorsements as much as we want. Yes, of course we can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so nothing that you can think of. Nope. All right. Then are we ready to dive into another, like, six-pager? Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
So this one has been on my list for a while. Another one of those that was just sort of sitting there, but I didn't know much of the details about until I started digging. And oh my goodness, are there some details. (laughs) So this is the story, my friends, of the Ronan Point explosion. Okay, okay. I have Have no idea what this is. No, no idea what it is. So on May 16th, 1968... A gas explosion at the Ronan Point housing high rise. That was the worst way I could have possibly read that sentence. At the Ronan Point. This is just a poor (laughs) sentence. I'm so sorry. Ronan Point. Just go. Okay. Spit it out. It's okay. At Ronan Point, a high rise council flat. Okay. um, Caused the partial collapse of the building, killing five people and injuring an additional 17. Okay. This is going to be an interesting story. Trust me. It doesn't sound interesting on the face of it, but it is. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when I couldn't even properly, like, write the first sentence. Sorry about that. This is, this is, um, let me see, a landmark case, kind of, in, in the United Kingdom that has more modern Oh, ties. we're going to UK. So, oh, okay. yes, I, yes, yes. I oh, sorry, I didn't. I, yes, you're correct. I did not go into that. This happened in London. So, yes. Now, my sources, my main sources for this episode, this was another one that I got lots of information from lots of sites, but the uh, my main source, primary sources were The Guardian, of course, oh, okay. UK yep. newspaper, right? A website, very much like the Naked Scientist, it just has sort of a, a odd name. It was called Bee Breeders. Okay. And it's an architecture competition organization. I don't know why it's called Bee Breeders. Who knows? Maybe it's a, I don't know. Uh, Wikipedia, Natch. Uh, the BBC. The UK Academy of Urbanism. Okay. Inside Housing. UK Academy of Urbanism. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a British word, isn't it? Urbanism. Uh, inside housing, our loyal listener, friend, former firefighter, and author, ah, Lee. Yes. The Newham Recorder and Tower Blocks UK. So lots of even primary sources mm-hmm. for this one. So, so we've covered London disasters at least twice now that I can think of. Well, we did the uh, the tunnel, the tube disaster, yep. the, the green, tube station, the gr- green tube, is that? Uh, what was that Bethnal called? Green, Bethnal Green tube, yeah. yes, and the rail disaster. Mm-hmm. So those two, I know we've done. Oh, we did the Great Smog of London. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was disgusting. Yeah, that was horrible. And we did Victoria Hall, but I forget if that happened in London or if that happened just another place in England. Anyway, we've definitely covered the UK or London London, London in general. London might as well be England, just like Boston might as well be (laughs) Massachusetts, like the whole thing. So, but that's like saying New York might as well be America. No, because America is so much bigger than England. It is okay. Well, whatever. (laughs) I don't think our UK listeners will agree, but maybe, maybe they will. I don't know. Um, So. London is obviously also one of the world capitals, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to belabor us with a giant geography corner. I think we're all pretty clear <laughs> where London is. I'm sure is. most humans have heard of London. If not, Google Map it. It'll be fine. You'll find it. Yes. Maybe. So, <laughs> So we're going to go much more specific in our background in this episode and specifically delve into the history 
of the matter at hand in this particular disaster, the more modern era of the struggle to affordably house people in one of the capital cities of the world. Okay. Right? Affordable housing is and likely always will be an issue, right? I guess. I mean, for, I mean, luckily, luckily we've never experienced it. Well, but that, plenty of people understood, do. but yeah. I'm saying, and I'm now, not saying just to us. No, 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 <laughs> I understand. But right uh-huh. now it seems like it's really bad for a lot of people. Yes. But I don't, I don't know because I've never felt it. So that's called privilege and you're absolutely well, right. Me also, too. It's also called luck. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. I think a lot of people, um, I've always thought that luck is mistaken for, or privilege is mistaken for luck. You know, most of luck is timing and privilege, but I don't know. That's just my definition of it. But anyway, so to put it in perspective, Greater London has an estimated current population of almost 9 million people. So 8.9 million yeah, people. Now okay. that is just the immediate like the London area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but obviously like with most major world cities, the sprawl is massive. So the entire metro area of London is estimated to have closer to 14 million people. So this doesn't actually put it even in the top 10 of highest populated cities in the world. Did you know that Tokyo, the most populated city in the world... I think it has like 25 million, right? Thir- almost 38. Oh, I didn't know it was that Almost high. 38 I knew it was like 25 million or, people. Yeah. That's massive. And think of how small of an area Japan right? is. Japan yeah, is yeah, very let alone, small. Let alone Tokyo. Yeah, it's literally an island. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the, I was I was blown away by that. I did I did not know that. But um, anyway, I mean, but that doesn't mean that 14 million people isn't a lot. It is a, oh, still a, a lot of people. Fucking ton of people. I mean, mm-hmm. in Raleigh, just in the city proper, we have like what 400 thousand or. Five hundred thousand. Positive. I know Wake County is a million. I mean, it's enough <laughs> to feel like there's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah could, definitely. I couldn't imagine ten times that. Right. Seriously. Now, to put that in perspective for anyone here in the states, New York cities, like greater metropolitan statistical areas, about twenty million people. Mm-hmm. So it's and covers three states. Yes, it's a very mm-hmm. large sprawl. Um, so it, it's in that conversation right in Mm -hmm. that ballpark but anyway so any large city or many large cities i should say have the same struggle when it comes to affordable housing new york also has an issue with affordable housing for sure so the beginning of the industrial revolution is really when london became like a city on the rise and that's not to say it wasn't incredibly important in England's long and storied history, but just that this was a period of significant growth during the Industrial Revolution. So along with this influx of residents came a major struggle with how do we house all these people, right? Anytime there's a massive migration to an area, you've got to have places for people to live. Well, we, we also covered that recently uh, in talking about the building of the Hoover Dam. They literally had to create... Yes, that's right. A, An entire town, town yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to house people. Yep. House yep. workers. Yep. Really. Mm-hmm. And that was even just temporary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly. So in the latter part of the 19th century, housing for workers flooded the city but it was put up in a really slapdash way. Oh, of course. Uh, it's a shock, right? Yeah. 
And it resulted in a really... Wait, wait, wait there was no building code 100 <laughs> years ago or 200 years ago, wherever we are? <laughs> and it resulted... No, this is only like 130-ish years ago. Okay. Um, but it resulted in really grimy and kind of, quote, and I'm going to say the word slum in quotes a lot because it's used so derogatorily, but just kind of grimy. The, the, the Charles Dickens version of London, you know, like the Oliver Twist orphans and uh, uh, smoke and smog and uh, like grime. Yeah. The Jack the Ripper era <laughs> yes. of London. Where everything right? was always dark, but there was a light on somewhere. Yeah. And it's all <laughs> gas lamps. And <laughs> yeah. so here is an example of sort of a picture. It doesn't look bad. It's just showing the doesn't period. Look, right? Doesn't look good either. Well, yeah. <laughs> It looks like these houses were just slapdash put up. Well, there we go. <laughs> so reports of the time especially noted the abysmal living conditions of the city's poor children. 20% of whom, so 20% of kids, died within the first year of life. That's Can honestly you not surprising. That's horrid. That is absolutely horrid. And we were we were just talking about today earlier how the life expectancy of human beings like doubled within the past couple Shot hundred up years. Shot in the 20th century. And it's yeah. mostly because kids have Children been making... Children yes. Yeah, they made it past one. Yes, exactly. And then they, and then they made it past five. And it was, and it was just like, like a big hallmark. Like, I guess yeah. he's making it to 70. Shit. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to have to change the statistics. Exactly. And most of these deaths were starvation or malnourishment related or illness and disease related, right? Because sanitation was notoriously poor. Plus you're very vulnerable to disease when you're a baby. Yes, that's very true. Very true. Um, Much more, much more susceptible. You're absolutely right. So at this time, there was an average. So there was one lavatory privy, outhouse, bathroom, whatever you want to call it, for every 25 houses. That's disgusting. (laughs) Isn't that awful? It is. And we're not talking like modern Uh, bathrooms, clearly. No, 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 no. These These are... we're talking about oh, somebody. Somebody. We're talking about somebody. Literally, just dug a hole in the ground. They're yes. Like, there it is. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yep. The hundred of us get to share this hole. Yes. And on average, also there was one running tap of water for every twenty-five houses. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's just. Uh, I'd never want to go back in time for that reason. I like the internet. I like running water. I like electricity. I, I like was going to say, hours. if I did go back in time, it would, it would definitely just be to ancient Rome because they had all that shit figured out. They did have like a big aqueduct system. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they did. They, they were good. But no, I'm never, if, if I do hop into a time machine, I'm never inputting, uh, oh, 1850s London. I want to see what that was like. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, Victor- and Victorian era. Yeah, no. No, no, no thank you. So these problems in living conditions did not go unnoticed by members of parliament. Uh, So Sir John Tudor Walters, an MP. Do you know what an MP is? I don't, but I hear that all the time. It's a a member of parliament. Okay. I just automatically defer to military police. Yeah, that's that would be the yeah yeah, for an American. I actually had to look it up once. 
<clears throat> this was not recently, but I did have to look it up. Um, so basically, they're like a congressperson. Sure. Right? Yeah. And they're a representative. The, Yes, yeah. there's there's the House of Lords and the House of Commons, mm-hmm. which is kind of like our Congress and Senate, except it works kind of differently. Works very much differently. You, yeah. have to, you have to get drunk first. <laughs> they they and, yell and at then, each yes, other yes. and boo and jeer. It's I very wish, interesting. I wish we had the same system here. I really do. I think things would Oh, my God. I don't think more. anything would be. I think people would just start hitting each other. We're that'd violent. Be, that'd be here. fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that too. Ah, uh, that we're recording this. God knows what's gonna have happened by the time this gets released, but we no are recording shit. this like two days after the impeachment order is getting thrown around mm-hmm. here, thrown about, thrown about here in the U.S. So, oh God. Anyway, plus so, I, I started learning about <clears throat> MPs or hearing that term mm-hmm. a lot. Um, with Brexit and all that? No, when the Grenfell Tower happened, which is something we also need to cover. Oh, wow. Okay. What you're, am I doing now? You're giving me a, a I'm look. slyly smiling. Yes. We'll get to that. No. Oh. There's a surprise twist at the end of this. So, uh, okay. Sort of. I don't want to build it up too much. Sorry about that. My, my <laughs> hey. So John Tudor Walters, a member of parliament from Sheffield Brightside, began calling for accommodations in line with the Garden City Movement, which was a popular idea at the time that urban living spaces should be planned, <clears throat> like developed, right? Yeah. Shouldn't just This was a this was a revolutionary idea. Shouldn't be dark and dead looking. <laughs> exactly. Hey, let's 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 have at least one green thing in the neighborhood. Well, and that was the thing that they should be like um Surrounded by green belts, or at least yeah. like built with greenery in them, and having commerce and industry and agriculture and residences in like proper proportion. It was kind of like the first, well, not the first, but it was planned, developed living, right? So, and, and that was not always the default. It seems like it now when everything is de- a development here, right? Like they're building that um, fancy Wegmans Center down the street from oh, us. Yes. So that's, and that's a whole planned development and it takes years to do and everything. And this is kind of part of the genesis of that, the the beginnings of urban planning in the modern era. Because obviously, like you said, there were planned cities in the past, not the least of which was like Rome and such back in the day. But anyway, so this idea of this, uh, this uh, green living uh, sprung originally from the works of American economist Henry George. If you've ever heard of Henry George, um, the dollop did an episode on him. It, he has some very interesting, had some very interesting ideas. So John Tudor Walters began a committee to explore these ideas, and serving on his committee was also Sir Raymond Unwin. Apparently it's easy to become a knight. I don't know. Everyone's a sir. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. Sir Elton John. <laughs> That's right. Well, he deserves his knighthood. It, if only for wearing the Donald Duck suit. I mean, really. Sure. So Sir Raymond Unwin was an engineer, architect, and urban planner who was also on board with the Garden City model. So the Tudor Walters Committee recommended specifics on population density control, minimum numbers of rooms, number of rooms, and square footage for flats for housing units, and yeah, so not everybody's piling on top of each other. And individual bathrooms yeah. for each home. Thank fucking God. <laughs> Thank God for this guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So as the committee was doing its work, it all was getting slightly derailed by a little thing called 
World War One. And that did not help living conditions in London at all. So while we're familiar with and have discussed at length the bombing raids, the blitz on London during World War II, London was also subjected to very dangerous bombing campaigns by the Germans in World War I. Exactly. Um, The raids lasted from 1915 to 1917 and were carried out by zeppelins airships just, and aircraft i was just going to say that and this is literally when bombing people is a brand new thing because there's finally the <laughs> yes. airships the air transport to do it there are also uh very early airplanes yes used in world war one in One. the latter part yes that's but as correct. far as bombing campaigns went they were carried out by zeppelins yep, yep. which could you imagine that like 10 years earlier there's literally man is not even in the sky (laughs) and now all of a sudden you've got this thing above you dropping bombs yeah you must be like what the fuck well plus that we like as humans we discovered how to fly and the first thing we thought to do was is to to militarize it yes we're fuckers (laughs) we're just the worst i hate human actually the first thing we thought to do with it practically was deliver mail Okay. Yes. Well, that, communication. And then it and then it came and then to it <laughs> well then it came to uh, we can deliver people, mm-hmm. literally. And then it came to transportation. We can also deliver war. <laughs> communication, <laughs> transportation, and military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the American values. Yep. Exactly. So in addition, so so London got the shit bombed out of it in World War One too. And in addition to the costly new rebuilding crisis because they had to build everything back up um the british military also noticed the effects of housing on their troops so recruits who had come from urban areas when they first enlisted in world war one tended to be in really bad physical health so they were like hey you're a you should be a young, strapping gentleman, but you are actually in really shit health. Why sadly, is that? And sadly, you're dead. <laughs> well, no, it was just that no, they, they were evaluating that people who came from the, quote, slums were in poor health. Imagine that. Poverty, like, being detrimental to health. <laughs> Kel surprise. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, Exactly. So when the war ended, there was also an impetus to provide veterans with more adequate housing. It was called Home for the Boys. A Home for the Boys. Sure. Meaning, you know, like, yeah. uh, let's support our, our let's veterans. Let's support our boys. Exactly. Yeah. So near the end of 1918, the Tudor Walters Committee published a report with its specific recommendations for adequate family housing. So spurred on by the report. So, so remember, the Tudor Walters Committee is the one that was talking about one bathroom per house, mm-hmm. um, that it be a certain number not, of rooms, not cramped certain living square footage. Quarters. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Basically, just like bare minimum standards, right? Basically, common sense. Right. So, in 1919, Parliament passed the Addison Act, which was named for then Minister of Housing, Dr. Christopher Addison, and that began the era of council housing or public housing. So, uh, he. Yeah, here in the U.S. it would be called public housing. Um, 
not nice terms in the past would would have been tenements. Sure. I imagine. Um, projects. Projects, the projects, whatever. Um, but the project housing, it's weird. It, it has a practical name. Like, that's what it's. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Project housing. But absolutely. then it just. It, it became, got a connotation. And it became. Here in the States, yeah. Permanent, which it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So this, um, the. From what I could tell, the common term, and I had heard this in the past, in the UK is council flats or council housing. Oh, okay. The council being the housing council. Uh, So anyway. So the Addison Act provided for local subsidies with the goal of building half a million new houses over three years. Okay. Which is ambitious, but... so. Well, hey, I mean, uh, you're in rebuilding... Yes. There will be another one coming 20 mm. years from then. Well, so but, here's uh, the problem. <laughs> but it's it but that's the one benefit that uh getting torn up by war has is then you have full employment. Yeah, that's true because, because you need people to build everybody that stuff needs too. to build the shit mm-hmm. back up. Absolutely. So unfortunately, post World War 1, the UK economy was not in very good shape. No. Unemployment spiked. The worldwide or, economy at this point is not in very good true, shape. True, but this we're still talking. I mean, part of this is going to overlap the um, the depression, sure. but we're still talking just post World War One. Unemployment spiked in the UK around ten percent and didn't diminish much over the next twenty years. So even in spite of needing to rebuild, there was high unemployment. And there was also issues with the value of the pound sterling, mm-hmm. so the value of the currency, also deflation, and a high national debt. So just the economy was not in good shape. And in the end, the ambitious Addison Act resulted in about 213,000 houses built. Less than half of the half million that they were hoping for, but still not a laughable number. That was That's a lot of houses to be built in three years, but... So in spite of the economic struggles of the day, another public housing funding act was passed by Parliament in 1924, and then again in 1930. And the 1930 act started mandating in in something that would be carried out um, in the following decades in British uh, legislation, something called slum clearance. So that was a strategy... (laughs) is a strategy that is still frequently utilized by many municipalities the world over. The idea is to break up, quote, slum areas or areas of poverty and poor living conditions by essentially displacing people from them. Gentrification is a nice word for it, you know? It basically just means saying, that's the word hey, that, that's, that's the word that puts the bow on it. Yeah, exactly. That's the white word for it. Gentrification. Mm-hmm. Sounds very nice. Many, yeah. many syllables. But what it means is you're kicking people out because you think, oh, this is a bad neighborhood. We need to raise property values. And we need to bring new people into this neighborhood. And by new, we mean white. For the most Typically part, Typically yeah. here in the States, anyway. Um, so ideally from a public policy standpoint, quote, slum clearance should be paired with housing assistance, as in if you're going to displace people or even just like clear out old buildings or whatever and build new ones, you should also be finding housing for the people that you are displacing. All right, so I'm sure this is highly confusing, but I'm going to say welcome back to everybody in the middle of the conversation right now, because this is the day after everything you just heard 
was recorded, our computer decided to just not record us for a bit. Pretty much just stop. Yeah. And so, I think I noticed it right when it happened. Otherwise, we would have been talking the whole time without Uh it working. Exactly. So, because we're not sure if the audio is going to like suddenly sound a bit different, and also just because we need to kind of get back into the entire conversation, we're sort of re introing here. Um, We have a new beer. (laughs) I do. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, What are you drinking? Uh, I gotta take the coolie off. I am drinking the Mexican hot chocolate 10W40 from Highwire. Highwire. Mm-hmm. And it is an 8%er. I have not tried it yet. So let's see. Oh, yes. In your bunch of jerks koozie. Mm, it's okay. Uh, yeah, just it? Yeah. Let me see. Does it have any lactose? Does Actually, it, say? it might. Imperial stout with chocolate. It doesn't yeah. say. Okay. Go for it. Oh, yep. Lactose. Yeah. There we go. So much for that. Yep. Enjoy. Um, I might. <laughs> it's kind of meh. Mm. Sorry. I am I am drinking Emperor Dawn's Imperial Pumpkin Ale out of Asheville, Catawba. Mm. It's pretty good. That, that's us drinking it. Yes. <laughs> oh, that is good. Yeah. Not bad, huh? All right. So we're not going to literally start from the top. We're just going to pick up where we left off. Um, we were talking about... The practice of slum clearance, Mm -hmm. as you'll recall. Um, So to sort of wrap that bit of housing regulation or housing legislation up, uh, the 1930 Housing Act saw another 700,000 government-subsidized houses built, and then the 1935 Housing Act continued the slum clearance policy. So between World War One and World War Two, about 1.1 million council houses were built. So Only to be bombed again several years later. Well, that's where we're going next. Of course, we all know that by 1939, things went downhill very quickly for most of Europe and absolutely uh, to the UK and especially to London, which we have covered. Yeah, our cats are fighting. Um, Or playing. It's hard to tell. In the Grenfell... No, Mm -hmm. not Grenfell. We mentioned that before. That's Grenfell. I think we covered Um, it in the Smog episode. And in um, Bethnal, Green, Bethnal Green, that's what I was trying. I was I was getting the G R E N part right, or the G R E part right. The green anyway. thing. The green thing. Yes, we did talk about the Blitz um, then. So yes, so just to kind of review, there was somewhere in the ballpark of forty thousand people killed uh, in London during the Blitz. Civilians, you mean? Yes, like people on the ground, mm-hmm. exactly. And London also saw massive infrastructure damage, obviously. Oh, yeah. More so than lives lost, which is even more massive. I'm not saying it was worse that the infrastructure was damaged. I'm just saying if it killed 40,000 people, imagine how much infrastructure damage it did, too. Mm-hmm. So um, so sure enough, another uh, no, 70,000 buildings were completely demolished in London. Wow. Yeah. And another 1.7 million buildings were damaged. So it's basically every building Mm -hmm. was either destroyed or damaged. So this is just the greater London area. This isn't even the whole of the UK or even just of England. That's just the greater London area. So that's horrific. In the entirety of Britain, it is estimated that 4 million homes were destroyed or damaged during World War II. That's, That's just horrible. So after the war... The country basically just had to completely rebuild. 
because almost everything was damaged or destroyed. It was a long process, obviously, painstaking, expensive, took decades. And one immediate solution that was put forth was prefabs or prefabricated Mm -hmm. houses, which was a strategy announced by then Prime Minister Winston Churchill in 1944. So before the war was technically over, that was, but the Blitz was over at that Mm -hmm. point, I think. That was the solution put forth by the government. And he referred to these houses as the Emergency Factory Made Housing Program. And I do have a picture of the prefabs. That's a, a, a picture of a prefab oh, okay. home yeah. and a little girl in front of it with her dog. Oh, dog. Yes. Yeah. So you can see they're, they're sometimes called bungalows. We'll get to that later. Like, there, there's a whole other... Oh, uh, no, I I was just trying to find the word. (laughs) I know it's spelled out there weirdly. Um, There's a whole other tangent regarding the bungalows, but I'll just just be patient. (laughs) All right. So these prefab houses were obviously meant to be cheap and easy to put up actually as quickly as four to eight hours with a large crew. They could put these houses up. Yeah. Like with 22 people working on them. So, So imagine if you have a... A crew of 22, you could put up potentially two houses a day. That's pretty fast. Imagine all the people you can put to work doing that, too. I'm trying to think of, uh, this is a complete sidebar, but I'm trying to think of how quickly they built Levittown homes. Do you, do you know what that is? It's I've heard of Levittown, but yeah. no, no, I'm not sure I do. Um, it, it was post-World War II, and it was basically just providing cheap, easy housing for people. Where? Uh, mostly, well, it started in Pennsylvania. Okay, so in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But I think they were putting up like a house a day, something wow. like that. Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit bigger than this. But they were prefabs they were, too? Yeah. Like, okay. All right, yeah. <laughs> well, Jesse agrees, I yes, guess. <laughs> so this, the prefabs not only address the financial constraints of the war, obviously these prefabs were much cheaper than full-blown, like foundational frame houses, traditional homes, but also a shortage of materials. They weren't built out of traditional materials. So post-war prefabs, however, were very specifically supposed to be temporary. They were meant to last at best a decade, right? This was just temporary housing, sure. emergency housing. He, uh, um, Churchill even called it emergency factory-made housing. So that was the whole point. It was meant to be temporary, not permanent. So, that, so that like, hopefully in the next 10 years, we won't have another world war where we have to do this all over well, again. Well, yeah, because that did <laughs> basically happened. yeah. So again, the number of houses that were anticipated to be built completely outpaced reality. There's supposed to be 300,000 of these prefabs erected over a decade, but it was only about half of that, but they were built between about half, or in about half the time, between 45 and 51, 1945 and 1951. Now, also during this period, legislation began moving away from delineating, and this was through um, a more liberal government. They, they stopped, okay, Jesse. They, they were starting to de-emphasize the differences between, quote, working class housing and, quote, like, professional class housing or whatever. They're trying to make it more about everybody deserves a good home instead of, well, the working class people will be over here and professionals will be over here. It's meant to be more democratic, I guess. It's the complete opposite of how Levittown wound up. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. So they they were promoting the idea of people of all classes living in the same neighborhood. Good luck with that. 
But uh, very much similar to here in the U.S., in the U.K., it's essentially a two-party system in politics, the conservatives and the liberals, except it's conservative and labor or Tory and labor. I don't know. Anyway, there's a... Yeah, there's I think a, the Tories are the conservative party. Were. I think it's an old term. Is it? I think it's just conservative now, but I could oh. be wrong. Any uh-huh. of our British friends, feel free to correct us on that. So the Labour Party pushed for this idea of, you know, not separating people in housing according to class, but then the Conservative Party came into power starting in 1951, and they sort of decided, hey, remember that whole slum clearance thing? Let's get back to that. (laughs) So as the 1950s unfolded, a new form of construction known as precast reinforced concrete became more popular. So basically it consisted of a wood frame with precast slabs of concrete that like slid into the frame. Mm -hmm. And another fad in new housing in the UK and especially in London, Jesse Pinkman was not Jesse Pinkman. It was the high rise known as the tower block in in England. So tower. I have a feeling you're going to mention a particular tower. Yeah, I do believe so. So tower blocks have the obvious advantage of being able to house a larger number of people in a relatively small footprint, right? High rises are huge in a lot of different places. Anywhere where real estate is at a premium and you need to be able to house a bunch of people, you can't build out, so you build up, right? So during the boom of state-built tower blocks, one such high-rise was constructed between 1966 and 1968 on Butcher's Road in Canning Town in the East London borough of Newham called Ronan Point. And that is, of course, the centerpiece of our story. So Ronan Point was named after Deputy Mayor Harry Ronan, who had once been a chairman of the Housing Committee of Newham. So Ronan Point was part of the Morris Walks series, sorry, Morris Walk series, which was a contract to build 1,800 homes, 1,800 new housing units. And this contract was between the Greater London Council, which is like the main administrative body in London at the time, and construction firm Taylor Woodrow Anglian. It was a recently merged company between Taylor Woodrow and Anglia Construction, and they specialized in precast, quote, high quality mm. concrete. The construction. Yeah, the, the finest quality. Yes. The construction method chosen by Taylor Woodrow Anglian for Ronan Point was called Plattenbau, a German word roughly translated to panel construction. Now, Plattenbau was... It was the damn German's fault. Well, it was used, yes. (laughs) Once again. Plattenbau was used extensively in West Germany for their public housing. Like, do you remember seeing pictures of Germany in the Berlin Wall days? Like, Mm -hmm. everything seemed to be made of concrete. (laughs) Oh, everything just looked bleak. Yeah, well, well, the Plattenbau was part of that for their public housing. You know, everything was concrete. It looked like that was another area of Earth where there's just never any sun. Yeah, I don't know the. I I don't know that it, you mean like like London is known mm-hmm. for being sort of gray and drizzly mm-hmm. and dreary. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, and, and well, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I guess I guess Germany in my mind now. Oh, too. okay. <laughs> German friends, feel free to correct yes. us here. So it was. This was popular in West Germany. It was obviously being used now in. In the UK as well, though, it's more commonly known as large plant panel system building or LPS in English. 
obviously because Plattenbau is clearly a German word, and I'm guessing they kind of wanted to distance themselves from German things in general at that point, so LPS. From German everything at that point. Yes. So the idea of employing LPS in the UK was popularized in the early 60s, in 1963, when then Minister for Housing and Local Government, Sir Keith Joseph, announced his ambitious plan to build 400,000 new housing units every year. Oh, yeah, that is ambitious. Using LPS in combination with unskilled, cheap labor. Mm. So what could go wrong? <laughs> Let's use... Well, I mean, honest <laughs> to God, in order to do 400000 a year, you, what, what yeah, choice does he have? Seriously. <laughs> hey, can you, uh, do you have a pulse and can you pick up a hammer? Good. You get we'll, a job. We'll just show you where to, yeah. yeah. We'll just show you where to nail things. Just yeah. hammer away at whatever you see. Yes. So there are some major safety concerns with LPS itself. It's, I say to shock nobody. So for one thing, the underlying structure isn't a great idea because there's limited framework with these giant slabs of concrete. There's really not much supporting said concrete slabs. So that makes them prone to collapsing when they are stressed by, say, oh, an explosion or a fire or wind in some cases. We'll get into that as well. So additionally, in many cases in LPS constructed tower blocks, there are gaps in between the concrete wall panels and the floor panels through which a fire could very easily slip and spread to other units. So you know how in an apartment building or even like townhouses, like we have, we are in an attached townhouse and we have a unit to our left and to our right, but we almost can't hear a single mm-hmm. thing out of either of those units, my guess is it's because those are firewalls, right? Yeah. The idea is that... So it doesn't spread. It, right. If a, mm-hmm. how, if a fire breaks out in one of our houses, it's not going to spread to the other. <laughs> this is just like not, not even. <laughs> I'd be surprised if they even thought of that in the first place. And in the second place, even they if they had, they were just like, it, yeah. just like, fuck it, like whatever. Absolutely. People, so People know how to put out a fire anyway. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Right? Like the... Like the MGM <laughs> brand. Grand. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, we don't... Yeah, people, everybody's a fireman. Someone will see it yeah, and use the extinguisher. It yeah. So easy. So LPS has also been compared to a, quote, house of cards, unquote. <laughs> a which literal is, one. Which is certainly not something you want your own house's construction method to be compared to. And it was considered a so-called house of cards because the bulk of this construction method's reinforcement, if you can even call it that, is provided largely by the weight of the floors and the walls leaning on each other. (laughs) Exactly like a house of cards. That is how you build a house of cards, right? As opposed to more secure frameworks. So they meant literal in this case. Yes, literal House of Cards. That is exactly right. Not the Kevin Spacey version of House of Cards, although his life turned out to be a little House of Cards itself. Nice nice segue. Thank you. You like that little... (laughs) A little Kevin Spacey joke. All right. So the flats in the Morris Walk series were supposed to average around six stories in height. Now that doesn't sound like a high rise, but for the time yeah. it was, you know, you can jump off the top of that and I uh, got a good fifty percent chance of survival. Right. <laughs> well, what it's that's at least not, sixty feet. That's not twenty stories high. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Ronan Point was indeed a high rise, being built up to twenty-two stories. Oh, so okay. It, so it ended up being a twenty-two-story oh. building. And it contained. I stand corrected. It contained 110 one and two bedroom apartments, or 
Smuts. Smuts. Its construction was completed on March 11th, 1968, at a cost of half a million pounds, which... It's pretty cost-efficient. It, do, it does not sound expensive mm-hmm. even for back then to me, but I don't know. Mm. By mid-May of 1968, so just a couple months after its construction was over, 260 residents had moved in. So now let's discuss what happened on May 16th, 1968. We are talking... Mm-hmm. Two months after this thing was built. Mm-hmm. All right. So around 5.45 a.m. local time on May 16, 1968, a 56-year-old cake decorator named Ivy Hodge, a resident of Ronan Point in Flat 90 at the corner of the 18th floor of the tower block, was starting her day. Now, like many Britons, Ivy liked a spot of tea in the oh. morning. Really, like if Love Island is accurate... Like, even young people like tea in Britain. Tea is very British, for what it's worth. I I don't know. It's just people drink a lot of tea. I don't know where I was going with that, other than to bring up Love Island once again. So, because she liked a spot of tea in the morning, she went to her stove to put the kettle on, right? So, nowadays, most of us, she had a gas stove. Now... Most of us who have gas stoves nowadays, or even electric stoves, they're knob-controlled, right? Mm -hmm. You you have a little knob, and anyone who has a modern gas stove knows you push the little thing in, you turn it, and you hear the click, 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 and then it goes, right? And the little blue flames come out, and I'm just saying in case anybody doesn't know, it's possible people have never had a gas stove before. I guess, but Did you have a gas stove growing up? Uh, we did not, but I, Chad did, and uh, my Aunt Pat did. They had a mm. gas stove. Okay, my grandparents did, so I remember, I definitely remember that. But back in the day, that's not how gas stoves were lit. They, they didn't have, like, these little auto things. They were lit manually. Okay. With a match. Sure. Right? So, Ivy Hodge struck a match to light her stove. She had gas going a little too high. No, no, she did not. But there was an explosion. And it was a gas explosion. We'll get to the cause of it in a bit. But but let's take a second to take a second. <laughs> I was so much more on last night. I'm really pissed that the computer stopped working. <laughs> We're going to take a second to take a second to discuss gas fire. Okay. And explosions, right? And this is where Lee's help came in. This is what oh, Lee nice. contributed. Okay. So thank you, Lee. So, and obviously, as I mentioned, Lee is a former firefighter. He's very knowledgeable about this stuff. Firefighters have to, especially the farther, higher up you climb the ladder, haha, of career advancement <laughs> in the fire department. Because my, my grandfather made it to battalion chief before he retired. Um, well, you, you our, have to learn more. And James, our yes. One, our one-time special guest. Mm-hmm. James is a captain. Yep. You have to learn an awful lot God, about yeah. everything. Yes, including the composition of fires and mm-hmm. gases and stuff. So that's why Lee knew about this. Yeah, he was telling me when I went out to visit him one time, like because they had all these setups at their uh, at their academy where he was. Like, like training facilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of it was like a tanker truck tipped over and like like a fake accident like 15 cars around it and he was like oh we have to he's like a lot of chemicals go through this area he's like so we have to be prepared for he's like we have a special chemical Uh fire team Mm -hmm. and 
stuff like that. And I was just like, the amount of fucking things you have oh, to know. Yes. Cause, cause when I was doing like the putting on the equipment and I was right. like, Oh, this is fun. I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm not smart enough for all this shit. I'm never going to learn this. The, the tests are extensive. Yeah. Like they have to study for a very significant Jesse. Don't be a jerk. Um, extensive period of time to be able to pass these tested tests. It's pretty hardcore. So gas that is used for residential use as a utility, so like for heating and for, for gas stoves and such, is typically mostly made of methane with trace amounts of the gases butane, ethane, propane, and pentane. So this gas is obviously combustible because that's literally the entire point of having it, right? <laughs> it creates energy by being heated, controlled mm -hmm. heat and fire, right? Um, also a side note and a very good reminder from Lee, if you walk into your house and you are able to smell gas, call get out of your house and <laughs> yes. call 911. Yeah. Because nothing is safe in there and you need to have it taken care of. And it is it can be extremely dangerous and to this day, like remember the um uh near in, in New Hampshire or was outside of Boston or something, like within the past year, that bunch of houses there was a Oh yeah, of that's right. Leaks. Yeah. And then earlier this year, the coffee shop in Durham, where yeah, the exploded. owner died, and then yep. a cop, or and I think he was a firefighter, also died. This, this shit still happens. This isn't like this is some ancient stuff. Anyone who uses gas as a utility, that this could happen. Yeah, I remember last year where we had a uh, fireman come to our plant and teach us like, basic safety stuff, how to use a fire extinguisher and things like that. But I remember at the end of it, the guy was like, He's like, if you have like a small house or something, he's like, he's like, he was almost like pleading. He was like, just call us. He was yeah. like, he was like, it's free. He's like, it comes out of your taxes. He's like, and we don't mind coming by. He's right. like, it's our job. Yeah. He's like, for the most, he's like, even for the smallest thing, he's like, just call us. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Because they can catch it before it gets out of control. Probably. Well, there's also little things that you probably don't know have happened because you're right. not a fireman. Damage potentially, yes. yes, which could turn into a whole other yeah. can of worms. Yeah, that's true because they can make sure that nothing structurally right. has happened. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna assess it completely differently than you would. Yes, absolutely, very true, very true. So in Ivy's Ivy Hodges kitchen, this natural gas utility source went from being a heat source for her kettle to the fuel for an explosion and resulting fire. So, Jesse is just being a jerk, sorry. We're getting distracted by Jesse. Um, so she lit the match and there was an explosion. She was thrown across the room mm -hmm. and we'll get back to her, but this explosion knocked out the load-bearing walls well, in yeah. Ivy's 18th floor flat. This, you mean the load-bearing cardboard or whatever yeah, the fuck the, they the, had in there? The literal, like, playing <laughs> cards that they had yeah. as walls. They're like, oh, we, just, we, we bought 10,000 uh, decks of cards, and that's mm -hmm. what we used for this wall. Mm -hmm. This caused the floors above Ivy to collapse in oh, succession. Shit. Well, yeah. So the 19th came oh, down on hers, and the 20th on the 19th, the 21st, and the 22nd. Holy shit. After the top floors collapsed, they began to crumble down Towards, toward Ivy's floor, and then eventually all the way down, collapsing the corner, the southeast corner, of all 22 units. And I, of course, have pictures. 
So this is the first oh, few. Shit. So this is like phase one, right? Mm-hmm. When it's when it's the you can see IVs. Let's see, that's 22, 21, 20, 19, 18. So this is IVs right here. Wow. And then those are all the units above her, and you can see it starting to crumble mm-hmm. down until it looked like this. And I'll, we'll put these up on. Um, we generally put these up on Facebook and Instagram. And so. Oh down it goes. God. It looks like it's almost not, there's not even supposed to be anything there. Right? But no, there oh, is. Yeah, it's supposed to be there kitchens. No, no, those are living rooms. Or living rooms. Yep, those are sitting rooms. But yeah, living rooms. Now this collapse. Damn. Uh, the, the, the immediate collapse killed four residents immediately. Thomas and Pauline Merle, who were unlucky enough to be the only residents in the southeast corner above Ivy Hodge. Oh. So, I mean, on the upside, three of those p- apartments right above hers were unoccupied. Mm-hmm. On the downside, one was not, and it was this couple, Thomas and Pauline Merle. And I also read that they had been super hesitant to move in. They wanted a flat lower down, but had decided to go ahead and, and mm. move them. And then this happened to them, which is horrible. And Thomas... McCluskey and Edith Bridgestock, who lived just below Ivy and were also crushed in the rubble. Another resident, 80-year-old Ann Carter, 80-year-old, who lived on the fifth floor, was injured and taken to the hospital, and she died of her injuries two weeks later, bringing the final death toll to five. In a lot of places, I read that there were four, only four deaths, but I think in a lot of Sources, they were not counting Ann Carter, but she died of her injuries. Um, Although, also, if she was 80 in 1968, she may not have been in the best health anyway. I don't know. But anyway. In an extremely unlikely turn of events, as you may have just noticed, whose name did I not put in the list of dead? Ivy Hodge. I was going to say the person who lit the fire. Ivy Hodge didn't die. Wow. She was, unsurprisingly, badly injured and burned. And we have a picture of her in hospital. Poor Ivy. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. she has, Ooh. obviously, she has facial damage sure. and injuries, her hands. Because uh, because she literally <laughs> lit the match, so it probably... It exploded, bur- yeah. yeah. burned up her whole arm. Just awful. She was knocked yeah. unconscious, too. It's like uh, Jason Pierre-Paul uh, lighting a piece of dynamite, or uh, lighting a firework that's in his hand. Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, except that, this was not except her this, fault. Yes, <laughs> except he was doing, we'll he that. did that because he was stupid. This was a complete accident. Yes. And interesting, not, like, interestingly, not only did she survive, the stove survived the the stove wasn't like unusable she ended up taking it to her when she moved well obviously she couldn't stay in her flat when she moved to her new residence she took the stove with her (laughs) so not only not only are are british people like battle-hardened people so so are their appliances i guess so and it wasn't like she was triggered by her stove she's like i'm not buying another fucking stove the thing works fine i'm gonna take it with me Again, I'm making it sound like she's she was someone who used foul language. I don't know if she was or not. Sorry, Ivy. You may have been a perfectly lovely, devout lady. Yes, Jesse agrees. So she said all she remembered from the incident was going to put on the kettle and, quote, then I found myself on the floor, yeah. unquote, which is putting it really mildly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In an extreme, 
or I was about to read the exact same paragraph again. Let me move on instead. So an additional 17 residents were injured, including resident Brenda Mon, who lived on the southeast corner on the 13th floor. Her story is pretty awful because she like narrowly escaped getting crushed to death. Like, the, the way that I read it, it kind of sounded like she was hanging on to the frame, oh. like, as the floor in front of her crumbled. Jesus. Uh, yeah, like, horrifically. Like, in a movie or something yeah. where you see the... Plus, she's 13 floors up, so... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And she literally watched, like, her living room crumble down in front of her, and she was injured. Um, her, she sustained injuries to her shoulder, arms, and her mouth. Several teeth were missing, so mm. who knows what hit her mouth. Ugh. Now, this is obviously a pretty low death toll, all things considered, right? Five Very people? Very much so. Especially if you see what the building looks yes, like. Yes, especially considering the magnitude of the collapse and the fact that 260 people were living in that building. And only five out of 260... So that's, I mean, five is awful, and it shouldn't have been one, let alone five. But uh, but one thing that was playing in the favor of this particular disaster was that Ronan Point had only just opened two months prior, so it wasn't fully occupied. There were empty apartments, right? So like I said, only one of the four flats above Ivy was even occupied, and unfortunately that couple did die. And the fact that these were living rooms or sitting rooms... At 5.45 a.m., most people were in their bedrooms. True. So even the people whose sitting rooms collapsed, if they weren't in the sitting room, they were, I mean, half of their house fell down while they were sleeping, or I imagine they were awake at that point after having heard everything, but oh my goodness. And like I said, from what I could tell, the collapse kind of took place in two phases. First, the top floors, and then it started crumbling down. And there are those photos I showed you kind of show that. But it I couldn't find an exact timeline for that, but there was enough time for people to be evacuated. And then obviously they evacuated the entire building. Sure. Because they didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> I'm sure people were more than happy to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, fuck this. But the problem... <laughs> The, uh, it, uh, I don't know how many elevators or lifts were in the building, but... He just wants to get into a room just so Just a badly. room. Yes. It doesn't matter which room. <laughs> no. It could be the closet. It could be the bathroom. <laughs> but you made me lose my line of thinking, Jesse. What was I saying? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you're listening. I, I was, but... Uh... Anyway, the lifts, that's what I was talking yep. about. <laughs> the elevator, so at the very say. least, the one by Ivy, the doors were blown. So the lift wasn't worked, at least an elevator was not working. So people were like running down staircases, dragging their children out at like six uh, before 6 a.m. So it, it was pretty horrible. So they were tended to by neighbors and volunteers, many of whom, it was really sweet, like, Neighborhood ladies brought refreshments and tea mm. for them. It was really nice for com- and comforted them. Because obviously, can you imagine just you being your PJs and... Well, plus <laughs> this is the generation after they're all used to doing this anyway. Okay, fair enough, A yes. Ge- generation fair before enough. people's houses were literally getting bombed. 
and they, you know, communities had no choice but to come together, so. True, but that doesn't mean it wasn't really shocking at all. Oh, I'm sure it was, but I'm but just saying, right. like, the, respo- the response to it is yeah. just, like, it's, for those people, it's probably just automatic. Yeah, like, know? good civic engagement mm-hmm. for each other. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Nearby Hallysville Primary School was the designated rescue site as police and firefighters worked the scene, and here's a picture of them taking away one of them. Oh, dead. Yeah. yeah. You can see all the rubble yeah. down. Now it did not. It did not demolish the entire no, building, right? It just, was just an entire section. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird, because it almost looks like it. You can tell, just from the picture of the of the disaster, of the mm-hmm. part of the, you can tell that the building was literally just pieced together. Yeah, because or it wouldn't have just no, it wouldn't have fallen collapsed like that. that way. Yeah, no, exactly. So obviously there would be an investigation into any disaster like this. But especially so in this case, because these are this is public housing. These are council flats, right? The owner is the government. <laughs> so in a completely unoriginal move, the managing director of Taylor Woodrow Anglian, the construction company that built Running Point, a man named Jeffrey Davies, immediately denied that the collapse had anything to do with the construction in any way. It was yeah. not at fault. Obviously. Yeah, buildings just do that. Of course. Yeah, but sometimes a whole section of them just falls apart. You know, as it does. You've never seen that before? Seriously. He said, quote, we have had a look at the block. (laughs) He didn't say it like that, though. We've had a look at the block, and there is not the slightest indication that there is any structural failure. End quote. Except for the fact that the entire corner of the building is gone. Yeah, I was going to say, was he not, was he on the other corner of the building where there was no damage? Because that would be true from that viewpoint. I think he was more in the Donald Trump's no let's just deny yeah. everything no matter what. Maybe Trump has like a whole library of this guy's speeches or something. <laughs> like just learn a, com- Here's my, step one, my, com- completely <laughs> deny reality. Yes. Step two, see step one. Uh-huh. So regardless, in the immediate aftermath, the Minister of Housing and Local Government, Anthony Greenwood, halted all new construction of buildings employing LPS, thankfully. And he uh, had all gas supplies to already constructed LPS buildings shut off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shut it down. Now, Taylor Woodrow... Put down everything. Nobody's working on a single fucking thing. And, and turn all the gas off so this isn't yeah. happening anywhere else. Taylor Woodrow Anglian threw together a very hastily prepared report, lab testing the theoretical strength of the Ronan Point walls. It was so poorly set up and so poorly done that in the actual report produced, the results were considered, quote, nil. Like, they're, they're like, we, well, it wasn't done right, so we couldn't really come to a conclusion. Okay. It was bullshit, basically. And yeah. then it was admitting it was bullshit. Proper testing was undertaken in August of 1968 at the Imperial College of London. So let's uh, stop a second and talk about the danger of an explosion. So obviously we know that an explosion uh, can lead to a lot of dangerous effects, right? Like fire, uh, shrapnel, Mm -hmm. structural damage that collapses and hurts people uh, or injures people or kills people being thrown and knocked unconscious like Ivy Hodge Mm -hmm. was. But there's also the impact of the actual explosion itself, the shockwave, right? So a shockwave, which is also called a blast wave, is a concentrated amount of energy resulting in high pressure. Because 
everything is waves, right? Like, and, and so it can, it's, it's an acoustical energy that can literally like push people. It, it's yes, really it creepy, but yeah. Now, uh, it was found that in this case, the shock wave from the gas explosion from the stove from in Ivy Hodge's flat was actually relatively small. It was under 10 PSI, 10 pounds per square inch. It is possible for the human body to withstand pressure more in the 20 to 40 PSI range. Okay. Or even I've seen up to 50. Hmm. So survival from the blast itself was highly possible. Obviously, Ivy lived. Mm -hmm. And she was right there literally receiving the entire pressure shock from that blast and she lived and her injuries were sustained because of the fire and because she hit her head and got knocked unconscious Mm -hmm. right so then the question remained why was this structure unable to withstand what would be considered a relatively minimal amount of pressure from an explosion So the Imperial Exi- College study... Exhibit A, the, yes. uh, the walls that were made out of duct tape. Yeah, basically. The Imperial College study determined that the walls in the Ronin Point Flats could be displaced with an incredibly minimal amount of pressure. For the exterior walls, it took as little pressure as 3 PSI. Oh my god. For the internal walls... 0.25 PSI could displace the internal walls. That's how flimsy this construction was. I want to say, because we're talking about pounds per square inch, that's, mm-hmm. that's also how, how they measure, um, I don't know about a ball for every sport, but that's how they measure inflating right, sure. a football. Tires and too. Amer- an American football football. Uh-huh. Um, My tires are supposed to be inflated to 32 so all, PSI. All it, made me, all it made me think of is like you could literally like just throw a football at one of these walls and, and seriously, <laughs> seriously damage and it. Not, I don't think it's quite that same way. That's an impact versus... Pro- anyway, hey, but... Josh Allen's got a cannon for an arm. He could do it. Oh, God. It's football season. So, basically, this building could withstand next to nothing when it came yeah. to exerted exerted force, right? Like almost it's almost like somebody could just lean I was on just going to say much. I was just going to say that. Like if you leaned against it and like for go, for like a minute or two yeah. you'd be like why is the wall moving? Why is, is there a secret passageway? Nobody yeah. told me there was a secret passageway. Awesome. And then you realize you're about to fall 17 stories. And, like, and you're oh. about to take down the entire building with you. Now. Now, while Ronan Point was obviously poorly constructed, <laughs> yeah. It was actually built to code for the time. Oh, my God. So basically, the code was just shit. The pro- uh, so, yeah, the problem is the code was clearly inadequate for even much more conventional conditions than an explosion. Even just a bad wind could have knocked those walls, sure. which is ridiculous. Like, if it's, you had, like, all of a sudden, like, a 50-mile-an-hour gust, I, I don't yes, know if that's common Yes, England, it's possible. But. And the, the thing is, like... Another part of the building code was that it wasn't adequate for how tall this building was. Up 22 stories high, it was a lot more likely that this building would be exposed to much higher winds than a three, oh, four, sure. five-story oh, building. Yeah. And that had not been taken into account. There were not adequate codes for that. Literally had not been taken into account by anybody. No, well, yeah, exactly. Or if it had, no, there was certainly no law made. To, oh, my God. Absolutely, absolutely. The construction method, this, um, damn it, L... You had it up I there. have it, LPS, have, LPS, yeah. that's what it is, LPS. Sorry, I didn't rewrite it in here. So, um, 
LPS was also found to be particularly vulnerable to fire. So this was not necessarily the biggest issue in this case, but say a fire had broken out, like a, a major fire in the building, it could have, listen to this, puckered the floor slab so badly that it could bend the wall panel and displace Man. the joints of the framework. The building, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that's how bad it could have been. Further, there was no structural fail-safe system in the case of the upper floors collapsing, which would leave the lower floors completely vulnerable to crumbling like dominoes, which is exactly what happened in this case. So basically, this building was an absolute mess, and it's no wonder it suffered such a catastrophic failure two months into its service life, even when what would have been in, in any decently constructed building Bad news for Ivy. Ivy would have still burned her arm, burned her face like she did, or had, had suffered those burns and still have been knocked out because she was the one absorbing that blast wave. But at worst, it would have been, oh no, poor Ivy. Yeah, that's And she yeah. would have recovered yeah. and everything and there would, be no would story. have continued. Exactly. We wouldn't be talking about this. Exactly. Now, officials remained tight-lipped in the immediate aftermath, gave no indications as to the cause of the explosion, Though it was pretty clear from the circumstances that it had indeed been caused by a gas explosion. The first firefighter into Ivy's apartment said he saw Ivy's stove face down on the floor and that the gas pipe was, quote, shooting flames. Oh, God. End quote. Oh, yeah. That's a Guardian quote. The formal inquiry into the collapse began immediately after the explosion, led by Hugh Griffith's QC. Do you know what QC stands for? No. Queen's Council. Oh, okay. Best, well, I was going to say Queen, but I, I didn't know yeah, see yeah. it before. Best I can tell, it's maybe similar to like a, a DA, a district attorney-ish, like yeah. sort of, except maybe they're a little bit more investigatory at times. I don't know. Mm. But that's, that's the... <laughs> but they're a lawyer who works for the state, more or less. So right? it sounds like, yeah. And the inquiries report was released on November 6th, 1968. So the source of the fire had been a faulty connection to Ivy Hodge's stove, which resulted in a gas leak. In other words, Ivy Hodge had nothing to do with it. She was not in any way culpable for this or responsible for this. The brass nut that connected the gas hose to the stove was found to be substandard. So it was sh a shitty nut that they used because it was built for 500 pounds, mm -hmm. right? So they probably just bought some cheap-ass little connector and it was likely over-tightened when it was installed, which split it a little bit. Mm. So it's just, it's just bullshit. It was just horrible. It cracked, and the gas started leaking, likely from Day Dot, like right away. Mm -hmm. Did you like Day Dot? That comes from I um, didn't, I, I Day One. Oh, it okay. comes from Love Island. <laughs> Everything comes from Love Island. And so Ivy had lived in the flat while this gas was leaking, but it is like there's a couple of reasons that she probably didn't notice it. One is if it was starting to leak from the very beginning that she was there, she may not have noticed the increase in the smell. Sure. Um, you know how easy it is to get used to the smell of your own oh, home God, and then yeah. you go to somebody mm -hmm. else's home and it smells completely different. Like you notice it or you come back from a long vacation mm -hmm. and then you notice how what your house actually smells like, which can be good or bad, depending. <laughs> the monkey house effect or whatever. Um, but also, this gas would have raised, would have um, floated to the top 
of her apartment and have been lo- more located more near the ceiling. So that's another reason she may not have smelled it. Okay. Or smelled it very strongly. So despite the severe damage to Ronin Point, it had technically only suffered damage to one corner of the building. So it was rebuilt and reinforced. Oh, God. And refitted with all electrical energy. In other words, they tore out all the gas stuff, uh-huh. went all electric, and that was enough for tenants to technically be able to live there. Though, understandably, not everyone really wanted no. to. No, no. The Ronin Point collapse had also collapsed the confidence of the public in council tower blocks. Again, understandably. They're like, shit, if this one was poorly built, what about the rest of them? Which, good question. Uh, Now, the government responded with increased building regulations, thankfully. Now, some were immediate. So in November of 68, it was already mandated that all new buildings over five stories be able to resist at least 4.9 PCI of explosive force. Still doesn't seem like enough, but at least it's higher. Twice as much as what it was able to for, uh, almost twice as much as what it was able to for Ronan Point. And that those already existing could just not have any gas energy system if they couldn't withstand at least 2.5 PSI. Again, pretty low standards, but at least it was a standard, as opposed to not having one. It's a step in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. Additional regulations were passed in 1970 that further addressed internal and external pressure withstanding requirements, as well as proper design and construction standards, so damage in one part of a residential building wouldn't mean that the rest of it collapsed. So that was uh, called the disproportionate collapse. So in other words, if the if Ivy Swore had been the only one taken out and the rest was meant to withstand any pressure from above, then that would have been that. Mm. So The Ronan Point collapse also spurred on building regulation changes in other countries, including the United States. So this was kind of a worldwide thing. So now maybe that would be that. But it wasn't. (laughs) Most definitely not. As the following years wore on, tenants of Ronan Point, because there were still people living there, and other tower blocks, especially in Newham, began voicing major concerns about the the structural integrity of their homes. So they were concerned. They organized as the Newham Tower Blocks campaign, and in the 80s they enlisted the help of Sam Webb, an architect who had previously voiced concerns about tower blocks and years earlier, like even before the um, this this portion of the story is happening, as Ronan Point was being built, he was like, I don't know about this, guys. I think these construction methods are pretty awful. Because he was an architect. So Webb spoke to residents who invited him into their flats to investigate his suspicions. They told him about how easy it was to hear their neighbor's televisions. <laughs> sure. And more alarming, uh, more alarmingly, like, if their downstairs neighbor or next-door neighbor was cooking, they could smell everything they were cooking. Oh, my God. That's not a good sign. That no. means gas is getting through. Air is getting through some somehow. So one of the tests Webb conducted to see, like, okay, is, are there gaps here? Are we talking, like, literally there's just space instead of construction material that it is, you know, allowing this stuff to come through these apartments? And he had some very simple tests for this. In one case, he took slips of paper, just like a tear off from a sheet of paper, and slide it under the baseboard in an apartment partway. And then he'd go to their downstairs neighbor's flat and be able to see see it poking out of the ceiling. Yeah. 
Another test, he would slide a coin under the baseboard and you could hear it hit the floor on the apartment below. That's how bad this was. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> he also discovered that some of these gaps had been filled in during construction with newspaper. That was the insulation he used. Not surprised. Like, I, I, I think I was only kidding about the walls being made of duct tape, but I wouldn't... No, I yeah, wouldn't be a shoved with I wouldn't be surprised paper. if I found a couple that were. Yeah, yeah, basically. So, Webb was retained by the Newham Housing Co Committee to conduct a thorough assessment of Ronan Point. So what he and his team found included cracks in the stairwell and elevator shaft, oh indicating that even just normal stressors like just winds... Just like walking up and down. Yep, we're already starting to Jesus. break this building. Because this this wasn't a building that had that was like 40 years old or 50 years old or whatever. It was not a building that had been subjected to an earthquake or a hurricane or anything. This was normal wear and tear over like the past 15 years. This right. was happening. If it was subjected to an earthquake, this building, it literally might've just vanished. Right. Just, it's like just we never sucked split, down like, into the earth. Yeah. Li like liqu never, liquidified. Yeah. Like never saw it again. Oh my God. No People kidding. People have been like, wasn't there a building over there? Wow. His team also discovered that the brackets fitted during the rebuilding of Ronin Point were not correctly attached. They were bolted into hollow slabs. Oh my so God. I would think that would be similar to like, um, if you have a drywall, mm -hmm. I would think that would be something like hanging something heavy in drywall without an anchor yeah, without, using the studs, yeah. which is just, oh my God. So Webb's report raised enough alarm for them to evacuate the building. And they were just like, okay, you guys, uh, nobody's living here anymore. Finally, thankfully, it was then ordered that Ronan Point, and then later it followed that eight of the, this happened to eight other um, tower blocks in Newham, be demolished. Now, Ronan Point, however, was not just you know, wrecking balled or explode or you know, exploded, but like used dynamite to blast the site and, and uh, turn everything into rubble. Ronan Point was taken apart or disassembled forensically. They literally started from the top and took it down floor by floor. And this was in May of 1986. And what they found was shocking to everybody, including Sam Webb, who expected it to be bad but it was worse than even he thought. He said, quote, I knew we were going to find bad workmanship. What surprised me was the sheer scale of it. Not a single joint was correct. Oh my God. Fixing straps were unattached. Leveling nuts were not wound down, causing a significant loading to be transmitted via the bolts. Panels were placed on bolts instead of mortar. But the biggest shock of all was the crucial H2 load-bearing joints between the floor and wall panels. Some of the joints had less than 50% of the mortar specified, end quote. So basically, he, this guy who was like, this building is really poorly built, was like, wow, it was even Shocked worse than I thought. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Now. But we, you know, but again, you know, I do really hate it, though, when the government gets involved and tells me how I've got to build a building. 
especially for hundreds of people. Aren't we libertarian? Don't we just small government? Because people can be trusted. Yes, absolutely. People can be trusted to make good choices and not just be willing to let people die for money. And and one of the businesses, one of the businesses at the top of the list, as far as trust goes, is definitely a construction company. Absolutely. They would never do anything like no, that. They would never cut corners. No. Just and, and, and I mean, in this case, literally. Like they, yeah, the actual <laughs> yeah, corners. Yeah, they actually cut cuts. corners. Yes. <laughs> now, are you ready for the twist? Sure. This is an unprecedented all bad things twist. There's actually plenty more I could say to wrap up this story. Nice little bow. Continue on with information regarding the future of tower, tower blocks in London and such. But I'm going to end things on a little twister roo this week. For the first time, I'm going to spoil next week's topic. Oh. You see, Ronan Point is the spiritual predecessor uh, of another tragedy. The one I mentioned at the very that beginning. That happened nearly 50 years later. And so next week we will cover the 2017 Grenfell Tower fire and see where we stand today when it comes to shoddy construction in council flats. And spoiler alert, it's not good. No, hasn't changed much. And that, my friends, was the story of the Ronin Point explosion. Wow. What a... <laughs> of course, just shoddy construction. You know what it was making me think of as you mm-hmm. were um, talking about um, just the guy like placing the paper on his yes, floor uh-huh. and the coin and the shit like that? Like, I was reading something... I think in the Guardian, in one of the because the Guardian's a British paper. Yes, it's yeah. a, it's, it's a foreign uh, foreign paper. I know that. I, I get the impression it's sort of the New York Times of. I couldn't the remember UK, if it was you know, British like or bigger, French, but I guess it is. It is British. British. Okay. It is British. Because um, I think Thomas Frank writes for the Guardian. And okay. Anyway, um, but I was reading something about it. They were talking about um, how many soldiers in Iraq were electrocuted in their showers. Because of shoddy construction, they put like the, when these companies, whoever they hire to build. The contractors, yes, yeah. They were putting, um, I don't know much about construction, but I do know you don't want your water source near your electrical, no, near no, your electrical no. source. And I guess. Water plus electricity equals. And I guess bad. they just put these things up in the. Oh my God. And yes, like, like soldiers were literally getting electrocuted in the shower. And these- Nobody got killed. But like people oh, were. Oh well, then there you go. It was right. worth it. But Jesus people got, Christ! People got seriously hurt because obviously. soldiers aren't put through enough. Let's yeah. go ahead and let's shack electro- them. Let's electrocute them while they're in the shower. Oh my God! <laughs> and these are the people that we pay inflated prices. Oh, these are the to. people we pay. That that bathroom stall, just the one, it probably cost five billion dollars. The waste of spending. Oh. That's for my other podcast. Yes. You <laughs> I suggested. Did. I did, yeah. Did you see that? I did. Yeah, so if anybody I, has... I believe I hearted it. Okay. If anybody has any feedback on whether they'd be interested in um, a tax code and policy podcast hosted by me, I know that doesn't sound fun, but I would hopefully present it in a way that was more fun um, with swearing. Maybe that would be something different. Because I looked today for a good tax podcast. There is no such thing. They are either done by, like, by tax professionals, for tax professionals. I fucking hate tax professionals, and I'm one of them. (laughs) Like, these people. I swear to God, guys, they're they're so weird. It's because you spent three days around a bunch of them. That was the problem. They are old. They are white. They are smug as shit. 
so, and some really of, shoddy. Some of them, some of them were looking forward to Scottsdale over Las Vegas. And what I the just fuck? Like, <laughs> like people applauded when it was announced that next year's conference would take place in Scottsdale uh, because no more casinos, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah." yeah I was I'm, like, what I'm, the fuck? I'm honestly, I'm not throwing any shade on Scottsdale. I've never been there. I hear it's I, lovely. I hear it is nice, um, but. I'm just going to assume I'll prefer Las Vegas over Scottsdale and, and go with that as a pretty yes. pretty safe assumption. We'll go to one of the other <laughs> conferences next year. Maybe the National Tax Association. They're the ones who do the Denver Conference. So. I believe the uh, NHL team in Arizona plays in Scottsdale. So maybe one, one day we'll go to a Canes-Coyotes uh, oh, game. Oh, there we go. Oh, go Canes. By the way, because by the time this season comes starts, out, yeah, the season, season will have started. started. We are going to opening night. That's right. That's right. So... Anyway, just just shooting the shit yeah, after just go our canes. episode. Go Canes. <laughs> go bunch of jerks. And tomorrow, and, yeah, the Buffalo Bills. Well, by this point, they will have lost the no, weeks before. No. <laughs> they will have beaten the New England Patriots, but that would have been number. So they will be five and zero oh by the time you're listening to this. If you end up being right, you're going to look like a. Um, a psychic. If I end up being right, I'm going to send audio of me saying that to the Bills and saying, yeah, these last three road games I went to, you guys scored a total of 10 points, <laughs> and I spent a total of, let's say, $3,000. Uh, just chip me off a little something. Yeah, just a little something. And they'll say why you are clearly okay yeah. spending all that money and, for and 10 they'll, points. They'll say, we realize our fans are a bunch of fucking morons. <laughs> They're like, like thank, you for the, thank you for the money. We expect we'll get more of it for yeah. the rest of your life. Yeah. Piss off. And I, and, and I will. I'll be yeah, like, yeah. Will. I'll be like, yeah, you're right. You will. <laughs> anyway. And continue to feed in the corrupt organization that is the NFL, but... Well, that's, that's just how the I feel. league as a whole. The, the Bills are not a corrupt organization. Oh, that's right. They're the nice billionaires. Uh, <laughs> the one guy made all of his money off fracking, and we know that doesn't harm anybody. Oh, well, there we but go. But anyway... All right, here. Yes. Let me get to the name. Yeah, because I'm... Oh, it's not here. Jesse Edith? No. <laughs> he was starting to chew on the paper, right now. though. He's oh, there we go. There we go. So that was the Ronin Points Explosion. Yes. And we will... As I said, next week we will get into Grenfell. It has been requested of some of our British listeners. It happened like... Right, right before, before we started, started. Yep. Mm -hmm. our podcast. Obviously, we weren't going to cover it that quickly because I still don't think happened. it's been wrapped up no. legally. But uh, the the most recent thing we've covered, I think, is the Humboldt Broncos, and that was just because it that actually got wrapped up pretty quick. It did, all things considered. So. Yeah. So yes, we will this be getting does into Grenfell Tower. This does seem like the natural predecessor to it, right? Because I figured we're going to cover Grenfell at some point, and I literally just did the entire history. So I figured next week should just sort of be the sequel we where just, we just keep we going. Just go right into it. Yeah, so that's what I think that's what we'll do. But yeah, first time I've uh, spoiled the topic on for for everybody anyway. It's been excellent. Yeah, as well Jesse, for you. Jesse did not approve. No, he didn't. Mm -hmm. No, he didn't. So. So again, that was the Ronan Point explosion, which will lead into the Grenfell Tower fire. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.